Welcome to Cleveland Community Church Online. We're in the middle of a journey through a series of conversations called Investigating Jesus. It's a walk through the book of Luke in your New Testament. And we are looking at what the author of the book named Luke does to present a well and researched thorough account of who Jesus is and what he did. So here's where we are in the story so far. There was a man and his wife named Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were old and unable to have children. But one day, an angel visits Zechariah and tells him that he will, in fact, have a child with his wife. They'll have a son, and he'll be, have a special role, saying he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He'll go on before the Lord, and he'll turn the hearts of the parents back to their children and the disobedient towards wisdom. And he'll make a people ready for their Lord. So this child, he's known as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And at the same time in Luke, we have another story happening, pretty much simultaneously. It's between a young couple who are engaged named Joseph and Mary. Now Mary is visited one day by the same angel that visits Zechariah. And the angel tells her that she will have a son, even though she's had no physical relationship with anyone, let alone her fiancé. Now she's pregnant and she will give birth to a son who the angel describes that this son will be great. He will sit on the throne of David. He will reign over Israel and his kingdom will rule forever. The author of the Gospel of Luke writes these two stories side by side. And in our section of Bible today, Luke converges the two stories together, mashing up two incredibly important experiences in Luke 1, 39 to 45 says, at that time, Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So first, what I want to do is to take some time and look at what we know about the situations of Mary and Elizabeth. What we know about their culture and what their their lives are like, and we get an understanding of what they're actually going through. So this story they're living in is roughly 3 to 5 AD. One of the most important things to a family in this era was having children. If you had lots of kids, it was assumed that you had favor in God's eyes. Actually, in most religious frameworks, children meant blessing. But if you didn't have children or you weren't able to have them, especially in the eyes of the Jewish faith tradition that Elizabeth and Mary belonged to, then your lack of children was seen as a sign of disapproval, of disappointment, or even anger from God. And this negative viewpoint of having no children brought shame and a level of community disgrace upon the woman in that relationship. It was seen as being her fault, her sin, or her responsibility, and she was seen in a social disgrace. Now, I'm not advocating for this framework, but simply explaining what's happening. So for Zachariah and his wife, Elizabeth, and their long life together while being without children. Elizabeth was seen as having sin in her life, causing childlessness. 
She experiences a level of shame because of it as well. And when she finds out that she's pregnant, she says this. She says, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown me favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Elizabeth experiences going from social disgrace to celebration. Meanwhile, we have Mary. She's roughly uh, 13 to 15 years old. She's engaged and she's culturally doing everything right. But now she's pregnant. And to be pregnant and unmarried in her specific culture and time frame was grounds for social disgrace as well. Her fiancé completely has the right to divorce her. And furthermore, a young, unmarried, single mother in this culture is put at all kinds of social and economic disadvantage. Mary's experience is almost the opposite of Elizabeth. Mary goes from social propriety to some kind of social disgrace. And this is the backdrop of the story that we look at today, where the two women meet, Mary pregnant, Elizabeth pregnant, and they meet. So now that we've compared the two mothers and their stories, we do need to take a moment and compare what we know about these boys. Both of these boys are given some descriptions about their characteristics that I had mentioned previously. But when you stack these descriptors side by side, you begin to see what the author of Luke is trying to do. Let's look at this. So first, John the baptizer is described by his father in Zechariah in Luke 1 verse 76. It says he's going to be a prophet of the Most High. Meanwhile, Jesus, who's to be born to Mary, he is the Son of the Most High. It's a direct and a relatively clear comparison. John is going to be a big deal. There's no doubt about it. I mean, as a prophet of the Most High, he is going to speak on behalf of the Most High, bring the message of the Most High under the authority of that Most High. He works for the Most High. But Jesus, he is above the prophet. He is the Son of the Most High. And the Son is the heir to the throne of that Most High. He has family connection and power and authority. And here's another comparison. John the baptizer described by the angel Gabriel this way to Zechariah in Luke 1.14. It says, He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now Jesus, he's described as well by the angel to Mary, and the angel simply says this, He will be great. While John's greatness will be recognized by God, it seems, Jesus is simply great overall. So what we're looking at here in this comparison, well, John, he will be viewed great by God, but that's pretty much where that stops. He won't be worshipped or revered. And Jesus, on the other hand, his greatness has no qualifier. He will simply be great. His greatness is without compare, and the nations and all of creation will worship him. And then one last comparison, just to get our minds fully immersed in this thought. The relationship between John and Jesus and the people of Israel is described in a couple of interesting ways. John's relationship with Israel is described in Luke 1.16. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. John's role in his relationship with Israel is simple in description, maybe not in practice though. His job is to direct people back to their God. And in comparison, the angel Gabriel speaks about Jesus' role in Luke 1.32. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So while John is bringing people back to their Lord, Jesus 
is their Lord. And while John helps people find the throne of grace, Jesus sits on that throne of grace in his greatness. So there's a lot to hold on to there. We have the relationship of Mary and Elizabeth and their pregnancies and the cultural implications of each of these pregnancies and the power of God at work in both of their lives. There's no question that they are being cared for and loved by God and that they are obedient in following his will and his plan for their lives. For Elizabeth, she is celebrating a miracle that drags her from social disgrace to celebration. For Mary, she's confident in her God. She's the Lord's servant, not a matter, not concerned about the cultural implications or consequences of what God is doing in her life. And we have the comparisons of John and Jesus, each great, but Jesus greater, each with a role in God's plan of redemption and salvation. And the author of Luke, writing this story, parallel to each other, makes them collide in the story where Mary and Elizabeth meet. So let's read it again with newfound appreciation, and then we walk away with a few thoughts that I would like to leave you with. It says, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Both Mary and Elizabeth, they bring their experience of pregnancy, one a cultural celebration and the other a cultural nightmare into this meeting. And a few important things happen. First, Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting and it causes the in utero John to leap. The implication of this is that John recognizes somehow that he is in the presence of greatness. He's in the presence of Jesus. Elizabeth hears the voice of Mary, feels her child jump in recognition of the Savior of the world, and she is immediately filled with the Holy Spirit and declares a blessing over Mary. Now, what happens here is, is brilliant and, and in, in tight time and a little bit chaotic, but it points to John's role as described. He is announcing to his mother first the presence of Jesus the Savior. And she encounters an incredible experience of God's presence because of this. Now, second, speaking in this loud voice, Elizabeth speaks a blessing over Mary's life. Blessed are you among women, meaning that you, Mary, are found as blessed out of all the women in the world. You are chosen for a great purpose, to bring this child into the world. And she says, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Mary's obedience was communicated and recognized earlier in the story between her and the angel. But now, her obedience and her attitude when she says the line, I am the Lord's servant, well, now that's recognized by Elizabeth. And then lastly, in this story, we see one other incredible thing. Elizabeth makes a statement that is radical and rocks her entire world. She says, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Catch this. The child is not born. The child is developing inside 
A life is, is, is inside the womb with a heartbeat and bones and skin and organs growing in the miracle that is the development of a child. And Elizabeth bestows the title of Lord on this child. He is Lord. You know what Mary and Elizabeth know in this moment that the rest of the world doesn't? That this child, Jesus, he's the savior of the world. They may not understand how he's going to do it, but they will understand that he will. And this made me wonder, is this the first church service? They sing, the presence of God is moving powerfully in someone's life, and the declaration is made that Jesus is Lord. So what do we, what do, we do with this deep dive into this particular part of the story surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ and John the Baptist? Well, I look at Elizabeth going from tragedy to triumph, and I look at, uh, at Mary going from social norms to a social outcast. I look at the response to declare that Jesus is Lord. And maybe you're living through tragedy right now. Today's for you. Maybe it's not a tragedy though that you're living through, it's, but it's a difficulty, a trial. It's a stressor or a burden and a worry and the anxiety or all-consuming fear. You can run to Jesus and call him Lord. You can place Jesus as the leader of your life. You can make Jesus your king. You can make him your savior today with a simple prayer and acknowledgement of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And to say the words, Jesus is Lord, to say that, that means to say that he's the one that you place your faith, your hope, and your trust in for the salvation of your soul, that you place him in charge of your life. Those are things you can do today. But maybe you're on the other side and you're living in triumph. The sky is blue, the pastures are green, and you're living the dream. Friend, you know the deal. The greatness doesn't last. Every hill comes to a valley, every paycheck eventually gets spent, and trust me, every Leafs championship dream comes to an end. The good times are not necessarily guaranteed or consistent. But while you are in this time of triumph and in this time of celebration, are you ready to make that same declaration? Jesus is Lord. Because the truth is that no matter if you're in a season of tragedy or triumph, of concern or celebration, we all need Jesus. And the truth is that God knows that and he gives us Jesus. He's the way to a healed heart and a fulfilled soul. Jesus is the truth of salvation, that he bore the sins of the world in his body, took the guilt of all of humanity's sin on his shoulders. He's the resurrection life. Not only did he give his life for our sins, but he defeated the consequences of that sacrifice, death. And now he lives and we can say that we serve a Jesus who is very much alive. Let's pray together. Lord, you are faithful and kind and good. You are with us. I know that you are faithful and kind and good with us in the bad and the good, and you are king over it all. And my prayer is that you help me and you help those who are listening and watching. Help us to live like you are king of our lives. Help us to live and to be prophets of love and kindness and goodness in this world. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today.